This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Hello to you too. We've only got three more talks of it's okay not to be okay to go. And everyone went, what, three more? And the three more that we've got coming up, um, and this is very much a, a kind of a segue message or a, an introduction to the final three. Uh, they're going to take a little bit of a different format. Uh, they're going to have kind of an interview format. The younger ones can make their way to junior and toddler church right now uh, as I continue to speak. Fantastic. Um, and those talks are going to be more interview format. And we are going to be hearing stories from uh, three or four people connected with this church that have gone through some really, really harrowing circumstances. And I don't know about you, but hearing a story like Pete earlier, or we heard from Matt Anderson a couple of weeks back, do you find like real life stories like that inspiring? Okay, it's just me that finds them inspiring. But you know, when we hear real life stories, it makes our faith come to life, doesn't it? So, we are looking at this series together, It's Okay Not To Be Okay, and uh, it is based on, uh, loosely on John 16.33, the verse that Jesus says when he says, In this world, trouble you will have. In this world, trouble you will have, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Remember, one of the messages I talked in the series was called, What is God doing when life sucks? Because life sucks sometimes, isn't it? Okay, just for me then. We're quiet today. Are we tired? It's, it's just life sucks sometimes. Things come our way that we don't plan. We try and work it all out and stuff comes our way that for some reason we just struggle to get through it sometimes. And I don't know about you, but quite often what people tell us that we should do when we were our people of faith is they tell us and they point the finger at us and tell you, Phil, you should be more than a conqueror. I know you're going through a tough time right at this moment in time, but you should always look at the bright side of life and you should carry on as if it hasn't happened. Well, I'm sorry to tell you that when I lost my dad back in 2010, it hit me like a train. And all kinds of people were coming to tell me all kinds of things. It it was a really tough time for me. I remember somebody, can you believe this, that somebody would say this to somebody? And this person uh, is a believer. Ivion was seriously ill in hospital. Pastor Ivion, we've been celebrating 21 years of ABC Church uh, today, haven't we? And Pastor um, Ivion, our founding pastor, while he was seriously ill in hospital, can you believe this? Someone, came, not, not in his church, of course, uh, but somebody came to him and said, Pastor Ivion, I'm envious of you lying in your hospital bed here. And Ivion looked a bit crazy at him and said, really? He said, yes, because you will probably see the Savior before I will. And I was next to visit Pastor Ivion after this incident, and I said, did he really say that? He said, yes, and in true Pastor Ivion fashion, he said, I was so angry, I wish I could have sent him to send the sav- see the Savior before me. <laughs> How can somebody say that to someone? Because we go through stuff that's real and harrowing. And what, I was trying to, what I'm trying to communicate in this message, it's okay not to be okay, and in the whole series, is when stuff happens, we are allowed to take this moment where to, to kind of suck it in 
and, and, and to kind of question it, argue with God over it, and to drive it through and come out the other side of the storm. And what I've hopefully tried to teach uh, all of uh, us here from God's word is the fact that in that moment, it's okay not to be okay. I'm pretty sure that if we had spoken to the Son of God himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's sweating drops of blood, because he's about to face the cross, I am pretty sure that he was feeling the same kind of emotions that you and I go through. And so we are more than conquerors because we've got a different outlook on life because the word of God empowers and the Holy Spirit inspires us uh, to go forward. So today I want to look at the subject that's very, very complex, the subject of pain and suffering. The subject of pain and suffering. So I'm deliberately not going to talk about the whys of pain and suffering. Okay, you, you've all heard it when we're out trying to share our faith with people that are far from God. You've heard quite often that they all say, if God is a God of love, then why? And uh, they, they'll give their reason, isn't it? If God is a God of love, why did he let my daughter die? If God is a God of love, why did he allow my husband to die so horrifically in a car accident? If God is a God of love, why did I lose my job? If God is a God of love, why did Hitler? And it goes on and on and on. Do you know, church, I don't know the answer to all of that. I can't explain it. But one thing I do know is we see through a dark glass, a, a glass darkly, says um, the word of God, that we don't quite understand things. But we know there's a day coming in Revelation 21 verse 4. He says this, there's a day coming when there'll be a new heaven. And a new earth. And he says he will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Now I know that day is coming. And that's a day that's in the future. But for now I'm living in this time. The time where we're living in an earth that is cursed by sin. In 1978... The American organization called NASA had this fantastic idea that they would send a telescope into space. You see, when we have earthbound telescopes and we're trying to see out into space, one of the challenges with an earthbound telescope is we have to see through our atmosphere and all the gases that are in it so we can't see clearly. So somebody thought if we put a, a telescope in near space just outside our atmosphere, we will be able to see things into the deeper universe and have those images. So you've heard of the telescope called Hubble, and the idea was uh, birthed way back in 1978 when NASA finally gave it the green, line when, uh, green light when the European Space Energy uh, Agency agreed, got involved and support the project. And uh, ever since then, the Americans and the Europeans share time uh, based on the contribution to look at the images that have come back from Hubble. And European scientists get 15% of the time, and then the Americans get the remainder, remainder of the time. So it was was a huge, huge thing, and a huge, huge investment project cost $1.5 billion. Back then, $1.5 billion. And so on April 1980, 
This huge, huge telescope had been built and it had gone up with Shuttle Endeavour and then they began to get all the early pictures from Hubble back. And everyone is waiting at the control centre to get all of these images back. And some of you will remember, to the delight of every late-night comedian uh, and every anti-sponsor of the project, when those pictures came through, they were all blurred. Hubble was short-sighted. And all the images, all the £1.5 billion that had been spent was a waste of money because they couldn't see a thing. And there was loads of questions being asked of the company that had put it all together. And guess what the answer was? Some person came up with an idea of we will send up a little box of tricks to correct it. In effect, giving Hubble a contact lens. And we will send this contact, a rather expensive contact lens, up to space and we'll put it on Hubble. And guess what happened after that first uh, service um, thing uh, happened? I think that was around 1993 that it uh, all happened, that we had the images back. And since then, for the last 20-odd years, we've had some incredible images back from Hubble of our galaxy and the Milky Way and darkest space and some incredible pictures. When Hubble couldn't see right, it wasn't the fault of the universe. When the galaxy was unclear, it wasn't the fault of the galaxy. And you know, quite often, when we don't see the universe correctly, it's not the fault of the universe in the same way. What we need, as we've talked before, is not same old sight. What we need is a new point of view. And what we do is when we come to approach the subject of pain and suffering, and we approach the reality that all of us see in life, be we people of faith or not, or atheist, Muslim, Christian, whoever we are, we all see the same thing. The reality of the atrocities in France and the reality of the atrocities in Belgium and everywhere that we see all across Europe are very real to everyone, aren't they? It's the same thing we are seeing. But as Christians, we should have a new point of view. We should have a different lens that's on our life so that when we look at the universe, when we see what's going on around us, we see it with clarity. We see it with a new lens called the eye of faith because it allows us to see past our present circumstances. I think that Hubble teaches us a lesson, and quite often as Christians, quite often we approach it in the same way. We look at the universe and we say it's messed up. We look at our problems. Pete, we look at that bill that arrived and we look at we can't even pay it, but when God is clearly in control all the time. We don't see the world as it is. So often we see the world how we want to see it. The reality of it is quite often, even as believers, the lens that we are looking through life at is faulty. So turn with me to God's word, to Second Corinthians uh, chap- uh, and, uh, chapter 4 and verse 4. Second Corinthians, sorry, chapter 2 and verse 4. And the scripture says this, 
First of all, I'm going to read two scriptures for you. It says this, The God of this age, says Paul to the church in Corinth, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Quite often Christians don't believe. Are you aware of that? Quite often Christians don't believe. So we can include ourselves here sometimes. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. When the world caved in, sorry, help me out here, how was it? When the world caved in, you were saviour then and you are my saviour still. I tell you what, I love that line. I think, who wrote that song from Life Church? Who is it? Matt Hooper, God bless you, Matt. That, the theology of that line has fed me for the last couple of months. When my world caved in, you were saviour then. And you are my saviour still. What are you saying? Is this okay not to be okay, isn't it? Saying that the circumstances come in. But I want to take you on a journey with me this morning, quickly. And turn me to verse 16. Paul says this in that same chapter. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't lose heart. Right, okay. Now turn to the person next to you and say it with a bit of attitude. I want you to say it as if we live in Texas or LA. Go on, say it again. Don't lose heart. Some of you have got some dreadful accents. That's all I'm going to say. Therefore, church, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Aren't we, Irwin? I remember you preaching on this uh, passage. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The title of my message to you this morning is called Fix Your Eyes. Let's pray. Lord, as we turn to your word this morning, and as we look at the complexity of this subject of pain and suffering, Lord, we confess, Lord, that we struggle to come to terms with so many things that come our way in life. We struggle sometimes and we question you when stuff happens. Lord, we repent right now, Lord, of sometimes our stubbornness to turn to you when times are hard instead of having an anchor of hope. A lot of time we've just got just a bad attitude. But Lord, we confess the reality of how we feel when stuff comes our way. So, oh God, will you help us through our words, through your word this morning, Lord, to have a new point of view, that we can put the contact lens of faith over our life. And that we can see more clearly the purpose that you have for us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Fix your eyes. There's two contexts to the word fix. In fact, there's several. We can go and have a a fix today. I don't want to talk about those. I want to take and misconstrue the scripture in, in one sense. Because he's talking about fixing our eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes and our gaze firmly on him. 
But I want us to take the context of this scripture in Paul's gospel here, and I want to build on what he says when we see through a a glass darkly. I want to look at fixing that gaze that we have, that hopefully this morning as we go through a journey about pain and suffering and faith, that the fuzziness of the way that we are seeing things like the Hubble telescope did, that the fuzziness of the clarity of the hope that's always in God will in some ways become a little bit clearer to us today. Can you come on that journey with me as we fix our eyes together? You see, faith is like a telescope lens. Faith brings things that are far off closer so we can see them. There's many of you here, and we're going to hear in the next couple of of weeks from some people that have been through circumstances that while they were going through them, they, they, they were questioning why has this happened. But now that they've come full circle and come through it, they can look back at it and say, that's what I understood. And sometimes you don't get the understanding of the future because the future isn't here yet. But God has a plan for your future. So here we are in space-time here. And when we get there, we've got total clarity on why it happened. But until we get there, we can't have hindsight to look back at what happened. But what the eye of faith does for us, and what we do, because the Bible teaches us, doesn't it? Faith comes by hearing and the hearing, hearing the word of God. So we're hearing God's word today. It's going to build our faith so that we are back here right now, that we can use the telescope of faith, to look forward and see this moment before it comes. We can look forward in time and say, I know I'm going through a storm right now, but God's going to provide. He's provided before, I'm just going to put my trust in him. We use the telescope of faith to bring forward the things that are far off and bring them closer. In fact, I read a book in studying this kind of uh, subject in, in general, and I stumbled across, across this uh, fantastic book. Uh, you know, guys, I'm, I always encourage you to, to read. Um, I'll stick this on faith, Facebook later, later on today, but it's a, a book called Through the Eyes of a Lion. And it's written by a guy called, uh, I'm going to get upset in talking about this now because I've got girls. Uh, But it's uh, the story of Levi and Jenny Lusco, who are pastors of a church in Montana. And today, and I'll explain a bit more to you in in a minute, he's counting the days. Today, the 20th, uh, the 31st of July 2016, for Levi and Jenny... Today is day 1,319. He numbers the days. And the day he's numbering is he's had, uh, he had uh, four daughters, and one of his daughters, uh, four-year-old uh, uh, Lenya, um, was an asthmatic, and one day, you know, the asthma was so bad, and on the 20th of December 2012, he held his daughter Lenya, in his arms when she took her last breath and died. This is a church pastor and his daughter. And you think, you know, we're serving you, God. We're doing all of this. What is actually happening? And Lenya, any Russians in church this morning? Lenya is the Russian word for lion. And they had named their daughter Lenya specifically. And she said she was a lion. She was passionate and everything else like that. And for some reason, God had led him, after her um, passing, to kind of just 
I don't know, randomly start like looking at stuff around lions, etc. And it led him to write this book, which is called Through the Eyes of a Lion. And there's some incredible stuff in there, you know, like infant bereavement must be horrendous. And in the weeks that are ahead, we're going to hear a story here from, from our church on, on that subject. But now he sees clearly why it happened. Now he's got an understanding on it, even though he was going through it was so tough. You know, because death comes to all of us, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Death is, is, come on, I'm just going to be honest, you know. It's got some incredible stats that comes with death. You know, it's the, I remember Fridian Griffith saying, death is the ultimate statistic. One in one die. And we can, in a room like this, there's no question about, you know, in fact, there's only three questions that we, we talk about death, isn't it? When and how. But the other question is, who's next? One of us here in this room is going to go first. And I'm not trying to be all morbid, you know. I've come to motivate and inspire you here this morning, I know. (laughs) But one of you's next. Is it me? There's many a pastor that's died in the pulpit. But is it me? Will this be my last sermon to you? Everyone's thinking, I hope so. (laughs) Yeah. So... (laughs) So, you know, the reality of it all is very, very real. So he wrote this book, and I'm going to steal the points from his sermon in, because they are far better coming from his experience. I'll tell you what, because they've spoken to me, and I'm sharing with you, and uh, all I just want to say is, uh, you know, if, (laughs) you know, Levi, if you're listening in online, or somebody introduces you to this message, and you stumble across it, your book has changed me, and all the experience that you and your family have gone through, through losing Lenya, is changing our church too. And we can have a new point of view, can't we? Is that these circumstances happen because what the enemy, and we'll be looking at this this morning quickly, what the enemy tries to do to stuff us up and ruin our lives, it kind of short circuits it. God like plants a virus, doesn't it? That in the end, it all gets charged back to the enemy. You seek to destroy me and I just keep coming back stronger. That's the lesson of faith. So the first thing we are going to look at this morning is and build a foundation in our lives. Because can I tell you, church, some of you now, now that you know the subject, you might be phasing out. You're thinking, oh, here goes. We're going to talk about death and bereavement and everything's hunky-dory in your world. Nothing happens to you. It's all good. You need to hear this message more than anyone else. And I'll tell you why. Storms, when they come, reveal foundations. It's not a good time when you're in the middle of a storm to start building a foundation, is it? I mean, some of you try, try getting a cement mixer and some blocks together in the middle of a hurricane. So what we've got to do is when we're in good times together like we are now, if you're going through that good time, great. Then let's build a foundation here today. And there's four points to your bricks and mortar and cement and lime and all of that that we're going to put into to, um, your lives today. First thing, we must learn to look beyond. Remember me talking about the circumstance? We're over here. We go through it. It was our telescope. First thing we need to do is look beyond. That's the whole point of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As we talked in our text, he's saying our body is wasting away. But what does Paul says? For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not what is seen, but what is unseen. Paul 
Paul is teaching the church here in Corinth to look beyond. We've already said, Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. So we are being um, educated and informed and inspired by our faith today, building a foundation that when storms come, it can look, we can look beyond it. And you're here in church this morning to hear this message. God bless you. There's some that aren't here this morning. They might be lying in bed. But I'll tell you, in lying in bed, if, and if you're tuning in online uh, to listen to this message, I'll say, why weren't you in church this morning? Because you here are building a foundation by being here. Through the worship, through the word of God, you are laying another layer on your foundation to help you look beyond. You know, one of the things I found fascinating, and I, I was uh, away um, and had the privilege of attending um, uh, Vu Church in Miami. You know, it was something that he quoted in the, in the Sunday morning message. He said, interesting thought on Jericho that I'd never picked up, and this came from uh, Rich Wilkerson um, over there. He said, why was there a wall in Jericho? Do you know why there was a wall in Jericho? Because the people in Jericho were scared of the Israelites. That's why the wall was there. And quite often what happens is preachers tell us the story of the walls of Jericho in a very defeatist way, don't they? But the reality of it is they had God on their side. I mean, they say nothing, march around seven times, they, you know, not a sword was used. Blow a trumpet, bang, walls come down. They should be scared, very scared of the people that's got God on their side. And so in the same way, our circumstances and the enemy better be afraid of us because that's what makes us more than conquerors. Not that we avoid the situations in its entirety, but that we go through them and we've got a new point of view. We, are, we look beyond the circumstances that we're going through to see that what God has for us. The most incredible thing, like I said to you earlier, is today is day 1,319 for Levi. Do you know why he numbers the days? Because he had a new point of view. You see, 1,319 might be the number of days since Lenya went. But what he has with a new point of view looking to the future is he knows he's going to see his daughter one day again, isn't he? And so the reason he numbers the days is because it's 1,319 days less until he sees her again. I think that's unbelievable, isn't it? So I went and I worked it out today, Mike, for today. Our day is 2,000, our number of days is 2,106. Not 2,106 days since Dad went to be with Jesus, but 2,106 days till we see him again. We're going to see Dad again, and he's going to give me one of those hugs that he always gives me, Super masculine, a little bit too tight, and smelt sweaty because he'd been out on the farm. A new point of view. If you lost someone, can you take that same perspective? Mark and others that I know here have lost people. Can we begin to number the days in that we will see them again? It's one day less. Because if we look beyond our circumstances, we get a fresh point of view. So firstly, look beyond. Secondly, look with earnest expectation. Not a really cool word, is it? Earnest. He's normally a teacher that taught us in school a couple of hundred years ago or whatever it is. But earnest expectation means to, to wait with eagerness. Romans 8 verse 19 tells us, For the creation waits in 
eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And I love how um, Levi um, talks about this. It's like, any of you, okay, some of you are my age, uh, we had tape players, didn't we, that we used to uh, put in our cars and cassette decks and everything. Do you remember we used to play it and everything? And it would go, and sometimes it would go all wobbly, wouldn't it? It only takes a minute. Oh. And you're thinking, what about, I can't believe what song I was singing there as well. Instead, I was singing some U2 track, uh, you know. And then I was going to sing a track that was inappropriate there. Um, but, but we take the tape. And what did we used to do with the tape? We used to go and we'd blow the dust out of it, didn't we? We'd go and tidy it up and then put it back in and it would play. And what God is going to do with humanity one day, you know, take all the glitches out. And what is running in perfectly is going to, blow the glitches out of it one day in order that it runs um, perfectly. But for now, we have to use the eyes of a lion. You see, what he goes on to say in, uh, when he's talking about uh, our uh, experiences and looking beyond them and how we remove the glitches is today we can have that mindset ourselves to remove the glitches. We know there's a day coming where there's going to be no more lying, no more dying, no more crying. We know that that's coming. But at this moment in time, we can prepare ourselves by, first of all, looking beyond, and then secondly, living a life that has earnest expectation in it. And he tells us that we can live life like a lion. Lions of extraordinary vision. Their eyes have higher rods to cones, and they have larger pupils. In fact, if you look at a picture of a lion, you will also see that they have white underneath their eyes. Always white fur underneath their eyes. The reason they have white fur underneath their eyes is so they uh, reflect more light into their eyes to help them see. In fact, they do the opposite of a baseball player. You know a baseball player, they will always put black underneath their eyes in order to stop the reflection and the glare that comes. You see... It's not that a lion has more light coming into their eyes. What a lion, lion, lion does is he takes better advantage of the light that's coming his way. And as a result, a lion can see six times better than a human. So a lion can look beyond in a way that's more powerful than you and I. But in the same way, a lion is always earnestly expecting. How many of you have been to Wimbledon or have, have ever had the privilege of, being, uh, of going there? Uh, how does a tennis player wait to receive a serve? So if he's serving over there and I'm waiting to receive a serve, how is he waiting? Anybody help me? Does he, is he like this? Come on, help me. He's squatted, yeah, but what is he doing with his toes? Is he flat-footed or is he on his toes? He's on his toes. He's on his toe waiting for a missile to come with him that's going to be coming at like a, a hundred plus mile an hour. Any of you do boxing here? Does a boxer stand on his toes? Or does he stand flat-footed? Stands on his toes. In fact, that's what people that earnestly expect do. They stand on their toes. If you're waiting for someone to come 
I came off um, when we came uh, back into Manchester Airport and we came through departures. As we're coming through, wheeling wheeling our cases, or wheeling, they were that big, uh, wheeling our cases when we came through, you could see loads of different people, particularly young children that were waiting to see if dad or grandma was coming. They were on tiptoes. What were they doing? Earnestly expecting. And we need to be on tiptoes all the time because if we're flat-footed, we will fall. And what I mean by that is to be on tiptoes is to be expecting of things to come, on, uh, come our way. You might be going to college to this um, September. And if you're going to college and you've got your faith around you, if you're flat-footed and not expecting some local atheist to come up to you and question your faith and, and talk to you about you, you know, you know, all of the nonsense that you're believing in as a Christian, if you're flat-footed, you're going to lose your faith. He's going to knock you over. But if you earnestly expect that and can rationalize it and say, well, hang on a second, let's look at this together. Let's look at the truth and the evidence for all of it. If we are on our tiptoes, we are fine. Pain is a microwave and the more you hurt, the louder should be your shout. The devil cannot do anything with you without heaven's permission. You know the story from Job, Bible evidence, isn't it? Where there's a conversation in heaven, take Job. And what happens? Now, I can't answer the theology of why God allows you know, certain things to come our way. I can't answer that. But what I can tell you is you will not be tempted beyond that that you're able to take. I can tell you the greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He tried to ruin Joseph and he ended up being the prime minister. Try to ruin so many different people. Try to sift Peter and it, had, it came to no avail. Even Jesus himself was put through trials by the, uh, by the enemy and permitted by God when he went to be tempted of the devil. But they all came through it stronger. So in talking about things that happen to us, if he decides to sift you, or this week it's your turn, This week it's the enemy's turn to mess with your marriage. Or it's this time that you're now going to change boss and he's going to be a nightmare for you. It's this week or this month that you lose your job. It's this week that your teenager comes into you and tells you, Dad, I'm pregnant. Or it's this week that you find out that your son has got an addiction and you never knew about it. I can't tell you what it's like to go some of those through those things. But what I can tell you is if you wait with earnest expectation, then you'll be the fitter for it. Because they'll come and they'll be like darts bouncing off of your life. And that's the truth of Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to to his purpose. The reality of it is Job was twice as blessed at the end and Joseph ended up being prime minister and we all know where Peter and Jesus uh, ended up in their journey together. So number one, look beyond. Number two, earnest expectation and quickly to finish points three and four and I'll fire through them quickly. Look to see new in the normal. I remember Pastor Ivion um, sharing with me the first time he had to sit in the wheelchair Part of his illness, uh, when he was ill, it meant that he'd lost control of his legs and he couldn't walk anymore. And he, you know, he'd gone from a stick to one of these, uh, you know, other, what do they call it, a zimmer. And then eventually, and I remember him sharing with me, you know, that 
first day in the wheelchair. He says, you know, outside of Brenda and everything, he says, I cried. I'm in a wheelchair. What have I become? I wish I could have shared this with him. Levi says, at a restaurant, now he's lost his daughter. They were, um, uh, they were a party of six, four children. They were a party of six. Every time he goes to a restaurant, he says, little things, isn't it? Amazing. Little things. The server would just come in and say, just five of you? Just five? And he would say, yeah. Little did the server know that there used to be six until Lenya had died. Is it just five? Little things. Mum used to say, you know, for the first couple of weeks after Dad had gone, she would meet people that didn't know. And their first thing would meet her in the shop. is, oh, hiya, how are you? And they would say, how's Davi? And she would say, oh, didn't you know? And how many of you have, have ever said that phrase when, you, when you're saying something and you didn't know? But she said, how's Davi was a phrase for quite some time that she had to learn to come to terms with. As you take the lens of faith and apply it to the new normal, we need to learn to look for things in the new normal. The circumstances that we find ourselves in, and you're going to hear an incredible, Martin Palfreman is, is here, and, is, and he and Helen are going to help me with one of these messages in the week. I tell you what, if, when you will hear Martin's story, it will inspire you how he has learned to see new in the new, no, new normal um, since they lost their child. So all I can tell you is that, and this is what he says in the book, your pain is also your passport. It will take you places you never thought and open doors you never thought you would walk through if only you look to see something fresh in the new normal. Charles Spurgeon says this, God gives his most difficult assignments to his most trusted soldiers. Three, look to see new in the normal. And four, and finally, have some scare tactics. I love this point. Have some scare tactics. So I'm just going to share two from the book um, with you this morning. The first thing, scare tactic number one, is stick together. Lions are the only socialized cat. All others, they're very, very independent. But a lion is the only one that works together and they live in a pride. And if we are to live life like lions, then we need to do the same thing. So the scare tactic, the first scare tactic, is stick together. Where's Mark and Mike? Can you both come here for a second? If you would be so kind. The first scare tactic I'm going to give you is here, because this is one that I do in life. We stick together. These are two of my best friends. And we stick together. One's my brother, one's my brother-in-law. And they have to listen to all of my moanings and groanings and complainings. They give me advice and everything else. Don't you guys? Yeah. But I tell you what, we stick together. Don't we? Come on, let's be real in front of them. We guys stick together. They've got my back and I've got theirs. And we stick together like three lions in a pride. Yeah? Okay, so let me go a little bit further. Uh, can I have Tom and Pete Charles and Dan and, come on, Mark and James. Come on, all of you come out, please. Quickly, 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 because we're pushed on time. Quickly. The second thing is the power of small group. Come on, come and stand around all the way here. Come on. Where's Tom as well? Tom, I need you because you're the biggest. 
come on, Tom, come out. And I would call more, but I just want to use this as a powerful illustration. If you're in a small group, get in a small group. But look who they are. I want to say this to you all. Right? Have a look at all this, these fine men of valor. I want to tell you, you mess with me, you mess with them. Yeah. I know we can laugh. I'm being real here now. Come on, church. Serious moment. Okay? You mess with me, you mess with them. These guys are with me. They're for me. We are for... And Tom, we are with you. Anybody mess with you? Well, look out anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But we're right behind you. Pete, whatever you're going through, whatever the circumstances, we are with you. We are mighty men of valor that stand together. Give him a round of applause. Take your, take your seats. And the way that you build a foundation in your life, church, is we've got to make time to spend time together with people. We've got to find a soulmate. You've got to find one or two people that are your closest people that you can, you know, Paul and Barnas, James and John, you know, they're all in the Bible. You can see them, that they come together, a small band of men that stick together. And then for your small group, guys, if you're not in a small group, go see Mark after. I'll tell you, you know, when we've gone through stuff, my small group at home has been so, so powerful and strong to me. So first of all, be like a lion. Get yourself a pride and stick together. And secondly, and in closing, keep your anchor on a short tether. You know, some of you here are sailors and been in the Navy and others of you have owned boats or whatever. The best type of anchor you can have is one that's on a short leash. You know, if you've got one that's really, really long, your ship will drift away from the anchor and your ship will become more unstable. What we need to do is keep it on as short an anchor as possible. And the way we keep our faith on an anchor is who is our anchor? Church? Jesus. Jesus. Keep Jesus on a short anchor. Don't get too distant from him. You know, have you seen some people when they're walking the dog? Some people have got small leads. Have you seen some of these people have got like, they've got a lead when they're walking a dog that seems like about 5,000 miles long, haven't they? Have you noticed they've got no control of their dog when it comes near you? In fact, tangles you around the legs and everything. And, you know, you try, oh, <laughs> you laugh at the dog and everything. But in your mind, you say, for goodness sake, can you just keep your dog on a short leash? That's what I tell myself. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's lovely, isn't he? You know, 500 meter lead. You know, just keep the dog on a shorter leash. If someone can, you know, it's simple, isn't it? Yeah. But please, keep your anchor on a short leash. How do we do that? By keeping Jesus close. We can go through some stuff and so what happens? We don't turn to God's word on a Monday and then we skip Tuesday and then all the stuff that's supposed to build our faith doesn't get into our lives and we're going through a tough time so I, I didn't make church. We couldn't do that. Oh, because oh, yeah, I was going through, I, you know, oh, I just needed it. My head wasn't straight to go to church. I tell you what, when your head's not straight, go to church. Or oh, didn't pray. Oh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't take praying, you know, because oh, I couldn't think straight. When you're not thinking straight, pray. <laughs> Keep your anchor on a short leash, church. And I tell you what, those will be scare tactics that will keep 
the enemy away from you. And I'll leave, if I can, by quoting our verse of 2014 as we look at this together and try to become stronger in our faith when problems and circumstances and pain comes. Our verse was what? Fixing our eyes upon Jesus. Or I like what the NIV says, look to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the glory that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. God bless you. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.